This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast in the Times. I'm Matt Cholley and this is the first of our special Beyond the Fringe episodes speaking to uh, comedians, interviewers, satirical acts taking shows to the Edinburgh Festival this year. I'm delighted to be joined by Lolly Jones who returns with her satirical burlesque take on politics with a new show, I Believe in Merkel's. Ian Dale is an LBC presenter, writer, podcaster, blogger and Tory leadership hustings host who clearly isn't busy enough. He's in Edinburgh with All Talk, a political chat show interviewing political giants like Nicola Sturgeon, John McDonnell, Saeed Avasi and Christopher Biggins. And Dominic Frisbee. (laughs) Dominic Frisbee is the creator of YouTube Smash 17 Million Fuck-Offs, a song about Brexit. His show Libertarian Love Songs comes with a warning, no entry to statists, crony capitalists or the metropolitan liberal elite. Welcome to you all. Um, so I suppose the first thing we should do, um, rather than burying it away at the end, is just get you to tell uh, listeners, what's your show and when is it on? Let's start with you, Dominic. Well, I'm actually doing four shows, Matt. But this one, Libertarian Love Songs, I am doing for the whole run. And I, I, I wrote uh, two or three songs earlier in the year and um, they went down very well. One of them was that 17 million F-offs that you mentioned. And uh, I thought it would be good to do um, a sort of... It was originally going to be called Libertarian Protest Songs, so everything was like follows the uh, the format of the old uh, socialist protest song of the nineteen eighties, except with completely the opposite worldview. <laughs> <laughs> and when, where, how can people find out where you are on? Four um, times? It's at f- uh, ten past five every day in the Banshee Labyrinth, Labyrinth, which is apparently Edinburgh's most haunted venue. Very good. What about you, Lolly? So my show is I Believe in Merkel's, and it is at Assembly Roxy at eight o'clock in the downstairs venue. It's quite, it's quite a lively time spot, Yeah, it? it's quite... I mean, if my previews are anything to go by, the entire audience is just drunk, so <laughs> <laughs> probably more enjoyable. <laughs> Excellent. And Ian? Um, my show is called Ian Dale All Talk. It's on at four o'clock and six o'clock at the Gilded Balloon Teviot at four o'clock and the Gilded Balloon uh, National Museum of Scotland at six o'clock. And I'm interviewing people. It's sort of in-conversation format. Um, politicians, media people, entertainment. I've got a bit of a mix. So let's start with you on that, Ian. How did you go about putting together the lineup of people that you've got? Well, I got the idea a few years ago. I went to the Fringe and I saw Matt Ford interviewing Tim Lawton. 
and it was packed out. And I thought, well, if Tim Lawton can pack out a venue, I think I can get a <laughs> I mean, few it, more. It is possible it was the Matt Ford that was doing the packing out. Well, it possibly, <laughs> but he wasn't actually that well known at that time. Yeah. Much less well known than he is now. So I sort of thought I could do this, and I've always I've been to the Fringe. I don't know four or five times. Really enjoyed it. And I got a new agent last year, and I was so, telling them that I'd got this idea, and they said, oh, we know one of the main promoters. So he introduced me to Joan Seabright, who instantly got what I wanted to do. And I came armed with a list of about 100 famous people I know, and I said, look, I think I can get people for 12 shows, because I thought, I don't want to do the whole month, because uh, I can't really do my radio show at the same time. So um, I started approaching people for that one, and then Jan Ravens cancelled her show at 6 o'clock, and so they, the tickets were selling well for us, well, would you like to do another 12? And I thought, Christ, can I get as good guests for the second batch? But actually, I think they're equally as good, if not better. So who are you most looking forward to doing? If I'm honest, the one that I'm really looking forward to is reuniting Anne Diamond and Nick Owen from TVAM fame, because <laughs> I am that shallow. Um, but we've got people like David Starkey, um, he's proving to be quite popular. Um, Christiane Amanpour from CNN, uh, she's on the first uh, or second Saturday. Uh, Nicola Sturgeon's already sold out. Jess Phillips, Kirsty Walk, Len McCluskey, Christine and Neil Hamilton, um, Nicholas Soames, I think he's going to be quite popular. So. So you're doing basically a month's worth of shows in two weeks. Yeah. Are you prepared for... Because there's one thing... Because I know I've been as a punter and I've also put on a show. It's one thing going as a punter. It's pretty gruelling doing a show every day. Doing two shows every day. Are you prepared for that? Is your liver prepared? <laughs> well, I don't drink, so that, that, that should oh, be Oh, well, that's okay. fine. But <laughs> but I'm, I'm, be a it's a kind of show where you can't really prepare an awful lot yeah. because it is in conversation. I mean, you know as an interviewer, Matt, if you go in with a series of questions, you will ask those questions and then it doesn't become a conversation. And this is meant to be a conversation. I'm not going there to catch out politicians at all I, I actually want to hear about them and their motivations about their where, how they got into politics that sort of thing rather than talking about Brexit or sort of <laughs> article 50 or whatever so I thought about should I do a bit of stand up at the beginning of each one because I think I'm a funny guy although I did the Irish version of Have I Got News For You once and found out I wasn't as funny as I thought I was but it's difficult to do that when you're doing 24 different shows and you know that quite a lot of the audience are probably going to come to 2 or 3 so you can't do the same thing so I think I'm going to have to work out 24 sort of funny anecdotes from my life or career, and they'll mainly involve Anne Whittacombe's pussy, I think. Um, <laughs> and, and, um, at least try terrifying mental think, image. Well, indeed. It is, it is quite important that when people come to these things, particularly when you've got the more serious guests, that they, they feel they've got a licence to laugh. It's not a comedy event, but people should feel free to laugh if they want to. I think, you know, we're in this age where, you know, People, you know, trust in politicians is at all-time lows and trust in the media is in all, at all-time lows. And I think one of the things people are sick of, and it's particularly common on the BBC with, with their when they interview politicians, the whole show becomes about trying to trip up a politician yeah. on some fact or figure or try and trip him up on something that he might have said in a different context seven years ago and probably forgotten he even said. And if he even meant it then, he certainly doesn't mean, mean it now. And you've seen it like mad with this Conservative leader, leader I mean, they can't stand Boris Johnson. They're trying to trip him up at every stage. And the, the audiences can see that. And they're, they're, they're just like, just ask him a question. Yeah. Just let him talk. Because politicians on the whole are interesting people. And, and that's why I think, like, your show is obviously doing well, very well and will do very well. Matt Ford does the similar thing with his podcast. People just want to know what this guy thinks and what he's about. I get so much reaction 
from my listeners on my radio show when I interview somebody for a whole hour, which is unheard yeah. of in any part of the media. And so twice a week, I'll have someone in, generally one person, for a whole hour. And you're right, if you let people talk... I mean, after the first five or six minutes, a politician runs out of sound bites. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why all of these Radio 5 Live and sort of Today programme interviews actually often don't generate news lines because they're not on for long enough to do so. Once you've got beyond that, you, you, you're out of your comfort zone and I've, I've so often found that in a half hour interview, my news line comes at 29 minutes. Mm. I don't plan for it. It just seems to yeah. happen that and way. And because you're on, you're, the, the format is truthful, the, the bizarre thing is you'll actually get more out of them yeah. and more revealing stuff. And um, yeah, it's one of the kind of weird things about the internet that it's seen the rebirth of long form yeah. material. People thought, oh, it's got to be short. People have only got attention spans of 30 seconds. No, they you're don't. You're absolutely right. And... What we've seen over the last 10 years, maybe five years, is the rebirth of people wanting to actually go and see a live political debate or conversation. I mean, Jacob Rees-Mogg sold out the London Palladium a I few saw weeks it. ago. Really? I was there, I bought a ticket. Did you really? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's incredible. And did you enjoy it? Uh, actually, um, I enjoyed him, but I thought The Spectator did a really bad job. <laughs> I mean, like, Why? really bad. Well, the guy they had doing it, Fraser Nelson, is a journalist of whom I think is an excellent writer, but he's not a good presenter. He is, you know, he stood there, he just sort of looked weak and flimsy. I think you need a professional present, someone like you, Ian, or you, Matt, doing it, rather than yeah, yeah, a sort yeah, of yeah, weedy yeah, journalist. Yeah. <laughs> and the the other thing they did I'm, is I'm he not, did this thing I'm as... I'm a complete imposter, I'm not a professional. Well, <laughs> whatever, but you're used to interviewing people. The other thing they did is he goes, oh, we want this to be about the people, so we're going to open up the questions to the audience, and the audiences are, are going to ask the questions. So they had this huge delay every time they put the question out to the audience, where they found someone in the audience. And there was no narrative able to build up. Whereas if it's two guys, two interesting, intelligent people having an interesting conversation about interesting stuff, that's literally all you need. And if Fraser had just sat there and talked to Jacob, then it would have been fine because it would have got built momentum. But it was just fragmented and unstructured and they hadn't thought it through. And basically, it's because they're... My theory is it's because they're writers, not performers. You are right, because I listened to the one they did with Michael Gove and it was a similar format. And... I mean, Michael is, is great in, in these environments, but it was very bitty. There wasn't a section on X or Y or Z. They kept, it was very random. And I found it, when I've been showing these Tory leadership hustings, that you do a 10-minute interview with them and then open it up to questions, but you kind of lay down the guidelines in the interview. And the, the great thing from these hustings has been the quality of the questions from the audience, which I suspect you'll say you probably didn't get at the Palladium. Well, so much. They were okay, but th th it was just, it was just, don't let the audience in. Just, <laughs> Have the, do that at the end to keep them happy for 10 minutes but just do the uh... and essentially what you're doing in is, is what lots of people I've done the party conferences with sort of hour long and actually you're, mm. you're totally right that you get you sort of think well I'm doing I don't know Emily Thornberry so I'll have to do Brexit and anti-Semitism whatever else is tearing the Labour Party apart but the far more interesting stuff is talking about their childhood yeah. and what motivates yeah. them yeah. and how they relax and you know and I mean, people on, learn on, more uh, during the Tory hustings, one of the last ones I did was in uh, Colchester. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to ask so many political questions today. We're just going to ask sort of personal character stuff, which I think Boris Johnson was slightly panicked about at the beginning. <laughs> and, I, and the first question I asked was, if you were writing a letter to your 16-year-old self, what would it say? 
Now, that's a question I doubt whether either of them have ever been asked before. And the following questions went on a similar vein. Did and the audience got far more from that than they would have done had I just stuck with the normal type of political questions. Did Boris say he'd write two letters and then see which one was the best? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> if you, if if you think how stage. long, like, you know, the Douglas-Lincoln... Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the Douglas-Lincoln debates... You know, long-form debates from whatever it was, three or four years before the nine, the uh, a- a- election in 1860 in America, or the Frost-Nixon conversations. How long those yeah. conversations have lasted? That's the format, not stupid three-minute news night. Look at me, I'm Kirsty Walk kind of things. <laughs> well, it's being <clears throat> lolly. So you're doing the exact one, opposite. <laughs> yeah. the, um, Ian is trying to take the uh, you know get to know the real politician. Yeah. And you are doing the opposite. You are playing all of these politicians. Yes. Just explain to someone who's not been to see your show what it is and why you do it. So, uh, why is an, is an interesting one. If you've got all day, um, I think it's to do with my relationship with my mother, but we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, I lip sync politician speeches. So it started with Theresa May, so I've been doing that for about two years on the circuit. And um, it's set to music, so I do burlesque incarnations and I, I have two dancers with me. So, for example, I come on as Theresa May and say, you know what some people call us the nasty party? And then we start dancing to a song with nasty in it flipping our fans it's very sort of RuPaul's Drag flipping Race style what? fans oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to come <laughs> in more ways than one boom boom wow um, so yeah and then I do I play lots of different characters so I play Anne Widdicom, uh getting dragged around on the floor by Anton de Beck whilst talking about the Brexit party um, and I actually do play my mother as well. So I, I interviewed my wow. mum about Brexit because we've not managed to talk about it since since it happened because she voted leave and I voted remain, obviously, because I live in London. I'm a trendy hipster. And so she talked about why... And, and to be fair, her reasons are all valid. I'm not angry with her. I'm angry with the rest of like my family, like my brother, who doesn't really understand it, and just everyone down the pub voted for it. But she, so she talks about the common market. She t- she talks about hedgehog crisps, about how the EU banned us from calling some crisps hedgehog crisps because of some law or other, which I don't know if that's true. But so I've sort of brought her to life, and I also think Nicola Sturgeon is. I'm good that it's sold out. I mean, well done, but. Um, <laughs> I love Nicola Stone. She always goes down really well. So I've sort of presented her this time as a late night cabaret comedian. So all her jokes, they're, they're really well structured. When she talks to Parliament, she talks about um, Theresa May falling on her sword. And she talks, what did she say? She said um, something like, oh, you know, in, with any other leaders, we would, they, they would offer to resign um, if, you know, but she, she, Theresa May basically offered to resign if if they gave her what she wanted, which is just crazy. And then she said, oh, you know, she's the only leader in modern history who has tried to fall on her own sword and has managed to miss. So <laughs> I've got this with, so like... these are actually, you're bringing to life Nicola Sturgeon's own jokes. Exactly. Okay. We're with, like, a sort of jazz band playing underneath and a ba boom You know she nicked that joke off somebody on Did Twitter. Did she? Yeah. Rude. Is, yeah, we've Did all she? done it. <laughs> <laughs> with that you just check how many followers well, they've got. I first. come from a culture where you shouldn't steal jokes, Ian. Well, so Sturgeon can do what she wants. She's a she's a yeah. modern day hero. Yeah, and then I whip off my uh, dress, and I've got yellow lingerie and um, and yellow nipple tassels, and then it all gets. And a bit... it's really great that you've dressed up for the occasion today. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, S and P lingerie. It's still not clear why Ian's wearing nipple tassels. But that's a different. Yeah, I like them. Very sequiny. Out of habit. It's proper satire. 
Yes, exactly. Doing. Back to its roots. And do you yeah. impersonate them? Yeah. Um. I, no. So I don't. I don't say their words. I literally lip sync their own words. Okay. Right. But I physically, which for Teresa is really easy. Obviously, I just do the robot weird dance. Although I found so um, this is a weird sentence to say, but when I dressed up as Teresa May for <laughs> okay. a magazine feature for the Times. <laughs> back in, was it back in March? I think I missed that. Did you? <laughs> oh, it's well. I was going to say, to give it a Google. <laughs> I dressed up as Theresa May, Boris Johnson, Nigel Farage, and Jeremy Corbyn. Brilliant. And for the photos, they wanted me to do the. the yeah. it, it was much harder to do her awful dance than I. Do you think? Yeah. I find it hard expected. to dance out of time. That's really, there's a yeah. bit when she goes around the world in my show to do trade deals, and she goes obviously to Africa and dances with the children, and she's just like, it's just really because she's so awkward. <laughs> so wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, um, but I, I was kind of doing that, I think, a little bit before she did it. I like to think I inspired her. <laughs> it's you're, you're to blame. Yeah, you're my fault. It's my fault. And so is your whole s- show on a single track? No, well, um, s- technically, yeah. Uh, essentially, yeah, it is. But so what happens if something goes wrong? goes wrong? Do you just have to just keep going? I mean, I've, I've had plenty of gigs where it has gone wrong. Like, uh, yeah. So I used to do lots of stand-up for Labour gigs, actually. And uh, there was one when... Yeah, it just wouldn't play. So I just but the, the beauty of Teresa is everything goes wrong all the time. So you just make it you just make it part of it. You just kind of stand there shrugging. Just and, stand there coughing and until gurning, the gurning, yeah. yeah. In this actually I bring Teresa back as a zombie. Um we have we hold awake oh, for her career. And then I come out as a zombie and it's all sort of like ooh. And then uh, there's this great there's this great interview, I think on an American TV show where they say, Oh, you know, George Osborne said you're a dead woman walking and then she's just sort of like gurning as a zombie. It's, it's it's not too much she, of a stretch. She did that. Do you remember that interview I did with her after the conference where she had the cough and the set fell down? Um, it was like three days after that, and I asked her if you were if there was a second referendum, would you vote leave or remain? Which I thought was quite a simple question for her. And she just sort of started doing the gurning, and the panic in her eyes was something to behold. And uh, I mean, I've, that that just became a thing, didn't it? it totally. Sort of and I think, I think yeah. that interview you did with her, and that non-answer to the question sort of sums up why she could, just couldn't do the job. Yeah. If she yeah. wasn't prepared to say that she thought this was yeah. a good idea, quite. How? Why would anybody else go along with it? That's yeah. the uh, yeah. That's the thing. So Dominic, then let's talk about your show. Sure. Is it all songs? Well, I mean, it's a fifty-minute show or an hour-long show, so. I mean, about I guess about forty minutes of it will be songs, and there'll be some stand-up, and I do a competition to find out who is the most libertarian person in the room, and uh, so that won't be a song. <laughs> How does that work? Do you want to do that? Do that here? Yeah. Well, I ask a, uh, a series of questions. I play a game of heads or tails. Well, I can play a game. The, the the prize is you get some Bitcoin cash. I wrote the first book about Bitcoin in 2013, 2014, and you get a small amount of Bitcoin cash as the winner because obviously Bitcoin is the uh, the libertarian money. And um, but so I'll ask you a sequence of questions. You you guys have to answer by putting your hands on your heads or your hands on your backsides. Right. And the right answer this is, is great audio for the podcast. Yeah, well, go, I'll, go, I'll, I'll, dis- I'll describe what's going on. But the right answer is my opinion. Uh, so the first question is, is tax theft, hands on your heads, or are taxes the price we pay for a civilised society, hands on your backsides? You have to answer one or the other. No, you can't do that. Uh, what about the you, The unmistakable Mrs. sound what, of a hand it, being slapped on tax, the head. Okay, so um, is tax producer, theft we've or... Gone, we've all gone bottom. Taxes, taxes are theft. No, yeah. just answer the question. Is it well, no, theft or is it taxes or, pro- <laughs> or the price? Stamp duty is licence theft. 
Now let's no, 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 let, you, uh, Ian, you're ruining the game, so you're out. Um, it's, it's a black and white answer. Do we leave the European Union or do we stay? Are taxes theft or the, you've all put your hands on your backsides and you you all think, in other words, so that was, that, that the EU question was that a question? No, no, no. Oh, I, see, was, I was, I was making okay, the same point that with Brexit, you know, it was a, it was a it was such a divisive question. That's why it's been so destructive yeah. because it's anyway. So you've all answered taxes are the price we pay for civilized society, which is the wrong answer because of taxes is of course theft and therefore. <laughs> None of you win uh, the Bitcoin prize. Oh, okay. Unfortunately, but that is. But there will always be because it's a libertarian <laughs> audience. There will be people who say taxes, taxes theft, and I ask similar questions to that. Isn't Bitcoin? Bitcoin's quite good, to, isn't it? Bouncing back. Are yeah, you, yeah. Are you still? Are you a Bitcoin? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You are. Oh, I'm not a Bitcoin squillionaire. No, no, no. no but I've, I've done a right out of it. Oh, you could. Really? How do you actually get mythical. them? What's that? How do you actually get them? Well, you somebody you, starts you talking a, about blockchain, and then I lose yeah. what's going on. You, you, the, you get bitcoins the same way you get normal money. Is you either work for them or you take them as accept them as a form of payment or you buy them. I've never seen one. I mean, no, you wouldn't see them. There's money for the internet. Right. It's digital money. Ninety-seven percent of normal money is digital. You don't see normal money either. True. Good point. So, um, give us the title of some of your. I won't expect you to sing a song, but some of the other um, songs that you do. Uh, so there's I'm secretly in love with Nigel Farage um, there is to the music of the revolution will not be televised by Gil Scott Heron we do uh, crony capitalism will not be tolerated um, uh, what else do we do um, maybe Donald Trump is not all bad um, provocative uh, 17 million F-offs which is a song about Brexit and uh, similarly, I do the national anthem. We sing the national anthem of Libertaria to the music of the uh, Soviet national anthem. Uh, now, with the how, ironies. M- how much of this is what you is what you actually think, or all of ha- it? All of it. Yeah, I wouldn't have written it if I didn't. How? Think that. But you, you. This is unusual for a comedian going to Edinburgh to take this political stance. Why do you think that is? Well, I've, I've been a sort of pretty hardcore libertarian since probably the noughties, and, um, but I've always sort of kept my politics to myself because, uh, you know, you it's very left-dominated industry, and uh, if you don't sort of share that sort of Guardian worldview, you tend to get excommunicated and never get any work. So it, you'll it, find... It, as far of, as that, not just that people might not speak to you backstage at a gig, but you just won't get work. No, you don't get work. You get no platformed. You can't get work on the telly if you don't have that sort of Guardian worldview. It's only in the last three or four years that that, that, that people who don't have that worldview have started to get work. That's if they're overt about their politics. There's plenty of... Like, being a comedian is the single most libertarian existence you can have. You are totally self-reliant. Um, there's no, like, uh, you know, state intervention in live comedy or any of the things that that people but but the irony is despite the fact that comedian being a comedian is a libertarian existence most comedians demand state intervention all over the shop and there's an inherent contradiction there and uh, my simple worldview is the state is not the answer the state is the problem but there are many comedians who have that worldview but they do not they're not public about it because of the fact that you just get no platform so what sort of comedies you before you were open before you came out as a libertarian so obviously lots of comedians do material which is just not political so yeah exactly you're like loads of the one-liner merchants are really libertarian you can see it in their jokes but they just they're not overt about it 
but the um, but I mean, in all through the nineties and the early part of the noughties, I was what's called a character actor, and I used to do loads of characters, and then. Um, you know, I have, I'm a financial writer as well, so that's kind of informed my politics quite strongly. But the uh, but ever since about 2003, I've tended just to compare. So you, I just sort of go on and I'm just people's... You know, as a compare, you're just the sort of the friend of the audience, really, the middleman. But in, in the Edinburgh shows I've done in the last two or three years, like last year I did Dominic Fisby's Financial Game Show. The year before that I did a show all about the past, present and future of tax and sort of hopefully... If it wasn't amusing, it was always interesting. Well, I suppose that's, the, in a way, the thread that runs through the show, the shows that all three of you are doing is that um, they're not traditional no. political shows no. in Edinburgh. Uh, and it's also sort of born out of an increased political engagement that people, whether it's people wanting to come and listen to an hour of you talking to Saeed Avazi or, yeah, you know, I getting mean- jokes about... Comedy's uh, Nicola Sturgeon, or, or talk yeah. about you know mm. libertarianism intact. The, 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 there's an audience, people are more engaged. Yeah, they are, and there's a new comedy night called Comedy Unleashed on Tuesday nights in Bethnal Green, which once a month, but it's become, in my view, the best gig in London. And the audience are so bright, and they will, if you mention, I don't know, Anna Subri, they will know who Anna Subri is. Whereas if you go and mention Anna Subri in just a regular comedy night, they will not know who Anna Subri is. And if you sort of make arguments, you suggest that, you know, maybe the NHS, you know, state-funded healthcare is not the best means to deliver um, healthcare of the best quality to everyone at the lowest possible price. And you say something like that, and I can see you smirking with a smile <laughs> on your face. Most comedy audiences go, what? What do you mean? You're, you're speaking not... 100% positive about the NHS but that audience will find those that line of comedy interesting and amusing. I think that's really interesting yeah. because and you're absolutely right about if you were a right wing comedian five year, even five years ago you would not be able to get much work at all and I think it's a reflection of during the Blair and Brown years political satire died because the left wing comedians couldn't quite bring themselves yeah. to really criticise them mm. whereas in Thatcher's time I mean comedy was brilliant in in terms of political satire. Now you've got people like Jeff Norcott, Andrew Doyle, several others actually getting a public profile, which they were denied often by left-wing commissioning editors in the BBC. I used to host a, um, a co- political cabaret called General Erection and we always struggled to... Thanks. <laughs> we always struggled <laughs> to find right-wing comedians up. because we wanted, to, we wanted to balance it out, but um, we're going to bring it back soon, but... Yeah, there's just everyone's left, or, or at least they're pretending to be left. I think that's the thing. Like people don't want to be seen as, but they're not too left. Like you, don't, you can't like Corbyn too much because it's not cool anymore, you know. Well, it, but I think we've been through that even during the time I've been doing the three and a half years of doing this podcast and having comedians on who at one time were very pro Corbyn, and then obviously that's yeah, you know that shifted. Um, so I think, and, and also I think because. If people now are seeing themselves far more as remain and leave rather than left and right, and that sort of, if the Westminster bubble or the whatever it is, the metropolitan elite bubble or whatever, you know, that runs the media were caught out by Brexit, then there has to be a sort of correction. The, the new, the new definition, for me, it's authoritarian versus libertarian. It's not left and right anymore. Yeah. And Theresa May is an authoritarian. Like, that's another question I ask in who would be the better prime minister, Jeremy Corbyn or Theresa May? And for me, as a libertarian, the right answer is Jeremy Corbyn. I don't think Jeremy Corbyn would be a good prime minister, but given a choice between him and Theresa May, he's far more libertarian-leaning than she is. How? Because he's, he's sort of essentially a left libertarian. 
But how is he libertarian? Because he believes he's, in massively expanding the power of the state. Yeah, he is. State but, um, intervention. He, economically, he's very authoritarian, but socially, he's pretty libertarian. Well, he didn't vote to repeal Section 28. I don't see how that's libertarian. Listen, you're comparing him with <laughs> Theresa May. This is a, this is a, I'm not saying Jeremy Corbyn is a libertarian. I'm saying Good. he's more libertarian than <laughs> Theresa May. And what about Boris Johnson? Oh. He's pretty libertarian. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweller since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. And so let's talk about people who you think... So you touched on there, the, like the Anna Subris. Who is it that you think... Is there anyone you can't do a joke about? Or is it... Well, Do you need I mean, a sort of baseline? Not, you, it help, the more profile they have, the easier it is to do yeah. a joke about them. But just for... I mean, the amount of comedians just sit there and go, Boris Johnson's a bit thick, he's a posh twit, or Jacob Rees-Mogg is a posh twit, or Donald Trump is a this and that and the other. And it's just so easy yeah. and so facile and ultimately boring and uninteresting and I've got no time for it. Yeah, I, I agree, cause, because I've been into Theresa May for such a long time, like the thought of doing Boris, I think he's such a joke that I, I don't even think I could... I could do that in a, in a funny way because the jokes, well, I'll say the jokes on him. I mean, jokes on us, really, isn't it? Pretty depressing. No, I must admit, I've, I've been doing these um, stand-up shows as well and the stuff that goes down the best is, I've got a big section on Paul Nuttall, the former UKIP leader, and just going through the stuff that Paul Nuttall said and did when he was UKIP leader. Partly because it's sort of a slight reminder, but it's yeah. also trusting the audience yeah. that yeah. they know enough about politics, they, you know, they vaguely remember him, um, far more than going, oh, yeah, Boris Johnson, he's a bit of a wally, isn't he? yeah. The thing is, Boris Johnson's greatest strength is because of exactly what you just said. And it was the same with George W. Bush. Everyone thought George W. Bush was a bit thick. Actually, he wasn't at all. And um, Boris Johnson, the, if you're inside the M25, you think that Boris Johnson has no appeal outside the M25 because he went to eat and is a bit posh and all the rest of it. You walk down a street with Boris Johnson in Manchester, in Leeds, in Newcastle, and I would defy you to say that he doesn't appeal to all sections mm. of society. Yeah. He doesn't just appeal to posh Tories. It's why the left hates him. Yeah, exactly. Because they can see and how popular he is. the left are really going to come for him in a way that we haven't seen you, since Margaret you Thatcher. Can't, you can't open the Guardian. I read the Guardian every day. It's got the best app. 
and you cannot <laughs> well, read. Apart from the Times app, obviously. Well, you have to pay for the Times. <laughs> well, the, the, and, and it's well worth the money, Matt. It's well worth the money. Yes. You took the words right out of my mouth. You can, like the Guardian, me. every day there's at least five articles smearing Boris yeah, Johnson. Yeah. And I say that, smear. Is see, that uh, terrible, though? I but mean, they haven't learned from yes. history because they did this before smearing he became is mayor of London and said is that he was going to be the most terrible mayor ever. Actually, he wasn't a he terrible was a good mayor. mayor. He wasn't a good mayor, come on. He wasn't a terrible mayor. He's... Is that his new campaign slogan? He's better than Ken Livingston. And he's better, <laughs> than, he's like better than the current incumbent, who I'm also I interviewing. Can I just say that about Boris? Some of the things, you know, even the... I mean, whatever your opinion on what happened in that house with his girlfriend, like, we should know about that. I mean, he should be answering the questions. He's not answering the questions of what happened. Well, I tried my best. <laughs> <laughs> you really did. In fact, you were the first person to ask him yeah. at, the, at the hustings. And he somehow managed to go from... Uh, what happened in the flat with your girlfriend to talking about Rootmaster buses yeah. in about three steps? You see, that is a really good example of where I got some criticism because I didn't immediately pounce on him then. And I deliberately didn't because I thought the audience is intelligent enough to work out what he's doing. I don't need mm. to pull him up on it. I mean, obviously I did in the end because I kept trying to get him to answer the question. But you, you sometimes... you. you, you you shouldn't always be interrupting every five or ten seconds because the audience, you have to treat yeah. the audience with a bit of respect oh, so and trust that they can actually work it out for themselves. Listening to interviewers interrupt people, it's just like, let the guy speak. I was literally about to say that's all we've got time for. <laughs> I had a whole... It feels like the wrong moment. Um, just before we go, what, given you're there, I'm sure you're thumbing through the brochures. Who else are you hoping to see while you're in Edinburgh? Um, there's a show that I saw called The Shadow Punk Revolution. And it's a beatbox rock musical inspired by Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds, all about invisibility. Very good, Lolly. I think Luke McQueen, Short and Curly, Emmy Files. There's, there's so many. I want, but I really want to see Nicola Sturgeon. In, can you get me a ticket? Get me in the back door. Do you know how many people have actually asked oh. me? She is doing another event, I have to say. Shh, with, with we won't mention that. Can we you won't tell her to come to my one. show? She, I'm doing like two two burlesque strips as her. She'll love it. <laughs> I'll try. Well, I'll try. I'll try and build it into the interview. Why didn't you get great. get Lolly on? Oh at the end of at the end of your interview with Nicola, you know yeah, it's really high class comedy. <laughs> what time is your show? Eight o'clock. Oh, so you could come because yeah. she is on at four. Oh, right. I think Fantastic. we need to exchange. Let's, let's, let's do the negotiation. Yeah. Who else, um, apart from I, your many shows, who I, you go to see you? Well, you see, the problem is some of the ones I want to go and see are on at the same time as me, and I haven't got a day off, so I won't. Constantin Kissin is a Russian. Well, he lives in lives where I live in Tunbridge Wells now, but um, he's a brilliant comedian. He's sort of on the right also a little bit. Josh Berry, who's a new impressionist, I want to see him. He's on at the same time. Why am I plugging shows are on the same time as me? I must be mad. <laughs> Frank Skinner, who I th think is possibly the funniest male comedian in this country. I'm definitely going to go. In fact, I bought the ticket for him last night because they're almost sold out. Terrific. Uh, plenty of recommendations there. We really have run out of time now. Sorry to cut you off, Dominic. Um, uh, don't forget to subscribe to uh, the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen, so you don't miss any of these special episodes over the summer. But for now, my huge thanks to Ian, Lolly and Dominic. And for me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.